0: Chris Galser here with Matt Howell, and on this episode of The First Run, how long has it been? The film has been delayed twice. One of my most anticipated movies the past three years? Daniel Craig's final outing as James Bond in No Time to Die. I'm almost nervous to talk about it. I've been looking forward to this thing for so long. And then our body horror marathon continues with David Cronenberg's second film, Rabbit, And then we're going to talk about the big releases on physical media, featuring your straight-to-DVD and streaming picks of the week. And then finally, Matt and I are going to close things out with our five favorite James Bond gadgets. But I'll start everything off with a clip from No Time to Die. Why would I betray you? We all have our secrets. We just didn't get to yours yet. The world is arming faster than we can respond. Where's
1: 007?
0: I need a favor, brother. You're the only one I trust for this.
1: The world's moved on, Commander Bond. You were 00? Two years. So stay in your lane. You get in my way. I will put a bullet in your knee. I thought you two
0: would get along. Name? Bond. James Bond. All right, Matt, we're finally here. So why don't you tell the fine folks at home sipping on their martinis that, of course, have been shaken and not stirred. What is No Time to Die all about?
1: James Bond is uh, living in domestic bliss with his plane he's decided to settle down with when um specter agents come and um it's implied that she sold him out so disillusioned he has retired from mi6 and he's kind of living off of uh the grid trying to live a quiet life when they pull him back in <laughs> pacino style. yeah
0: So Matt, let me ask you, is No Time to Die an epic send-off or just a muted conclusion focusing entirely too much on relationships and what it means to be family?
1: Well, I don't know if it's an epic send-off. I think it's a little too, I'll be kind and say deliberately paced. Um, I think there's a lot of um, loose end tying off. I think there's a lot of fan service here. And if you're not a huge James Bond fan like uh, one half of the first run is, it Mm -hmm. may not be as important as riveting as um they think it is so i think it has its moments that are really good uh, but i think overall i think it's a bit of a bloated um film that could have done with some streamlining if i'm being honest you son of a bitch
0: <laughs> i don't know if i can argue with your point that maybe it runs a little bloated now i'll say as a bond fan I didn't really personally have an issue with the runtime with it. It did feel fine. I did have some problems with it. But overall, I felt it was a really fitting send-off for Daniel Craig's James Bond. And I want to state, too, from the outset, we're going to talk about the film, uh, but in a non-spoilerly way. And then we're going to kind of get into the spoiler talk as well, because there's a lot of stuff that happens in this film. That uh, Fukunaga says, you know, he did things that have never been done in a Bond film before, and he did. And I just really want to talk about those things. I do find it funny though, Matt, that we do get two films with Craig, right, where he's the young agent finding himself, right, making mistakes, figuring out who he is, and then we jump right to three films where he's the grizzled old veteran, you know, not sure if he can do this s anymore, or eventually actually just retires and leaves and gets drawn back in. We never really got like a, you know, Daniel Craig Bond at the peak of his powers. It went from kid to, oh God, my back.
1: Yeah, you never really do get the kind of uh, agent at the top of his game level in Daniel Craig's Bond. And I do do just want to reiterate something as anybody who listens to the show regularly, I'm not a huge Bond fan that like Chris is, but I will flat out say I have not seen Spectre because of Chris's and the kind of general attitude toward it so i don't know if i missed something having not really seen that film like if i missed uh, appreciation for this film without having that background i don't know but yeah i, I just kind of wanted to throw that out there so everybody can understand what i'm saying in a full disclosure kind of way
0: i appreciate that so i will say and i'm gonna at the end i'm gonna talk about or i re-watched all the films because i have the craig 4k set so I did rewatch all four in anticipation of this one. And I've softened a bit on Spectre, though I still, it still has its problems, which I, I'll, I'll get into. And I think, I mean, you don't get any of the Blofeld stuff uh, if you don't see Spectre. So that mm-hmm. may be a bit of a challenge walking into this, but you're probably familiar with the Blofeld character generally anyway, because of the prior films. So what I think Fukunaga does with this film is that he brings a level of emotion, Matt, and humanity that none of the previous films have, except maybe I can say Under Majesty's Secret Service. And I think this is, for me, Craig's best performance as Bond. This, for me, is the first time he really felt kind of like a fully fleshed out human being. I mean, he's still, you know, the kick-ass, unstoppable secret agent, even in his, his waning years. But he actually felt like a person this time with emotions. And I think Craig did a really fantastic job bringing some vulnerability and uh, um, some heart to the role that really we haven't seen that much in any of the prior iterations. What do you think about that? Did you have that same experience or no? I,
1: I don't think I did. And again, I don't think I'm as steeped in Bond lore um, as you are. Like I've seen the Timothy Dalton versions. I've seen some of the the Pierce Brosnan. I've seen the majority of Sean Connery. I have seen very little of the Roger Moore because I, the few that I have seen, I have not enjoyed. So I haven't seen a lot of those. I, I think it does have a completely different feel than any of the other bonds that i've seen um it is much more concerned with like kind of what bond means as a character and like where he is in his life and i guess that's a different way to come at it and i did find that interesting to a a degree but again i felt like this film was so heavily reliant on the history of james bond and you knowing it pretty intimately that I, I think it's hard for like a casual person to kind of jump into this.
0: Then let's talk a little bit about the general stuff that I think may have some wide appeal for people. And I think mm-hmm. that includes some of the, I think really great action set pieces. I think the opening in Italy is really top shelf stuff. I think the uh, Cuba matter, I think the Norway Misty Woods fight. I think is really interesting and good, especially the way they do some of the staging with the cars and the explosions Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. I think a lot of that stuff works really, really well and some of the best in the series. Uh, If you want to take that out of just a Bond series, what were your thoughts on the action set pieces for No Time to Die?
1: Yeah, I mean, some of them I thought were things that were, didn't blow me away. I thought the the scenes in the woods, I thought were probably some of my favorite of the film. The stuff in Italy, I thought it was well done, but it did, I didn't feel like it was anything we hadn't seen before, especially in other Craig Bond films. The stuff in Cuba, the, the action sequence, I think was okay. Like, honestly, what, where I struggle with this is that we've seen a lot of really good action films so some some to me this almost seems a little bit archaic and sometimes like it seems like it's a relic of the past which is weird to say when that seems to be a theme running through these daniel craig bond films that he is a relic of the past overall i think they're really good i just don't think they were particularly groundbreaking in a lot of the the action scenes
0: i don't know if they're groundbreaking i maybe have to agree with you on that but i think that they were very very well done and some of the best in the series i think Craig equates himself well in these stunt roles again. And I, I don't know, I found it rather exhilarating and rather well done. Any of the issues I had with the film, I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about Rami Malek. So he is our villain. And I got to say, Matt, he is almost like a non-presence for me in this film. I mean, and I'm starting to wonder, really, is, is he a good actor? because I haven't seen that Mr. Robot show, so maybe mm-hmm. he just would blow me away. And I get the story beats for what they're trying to do with Malik's character, what makes him tick, right? And But he's supposed to be this great adversary for Bond. But he's almost kind of incidental to what I think Fokunaga was working on, which is an emotional journey that Bond is on. He's more the catalyst for things to happen. And it could have been anything really. He's like a living MacGuffin that just gets us to our conclusion. And I don't know if they ever really attain the stakes that they're going for with this film because of that. I I struggle with the main big baddie. And I don't know if this is too much of a reveal that the technology is that nanobot technology, which for me is kind of lazy. You know, it seems like whenever I always, I hate it whenever it shows up and stuff, because it had just been reused so many times. I can't stand like in superhero movies when they have nanobot technology that makes their costumes appear. You know, I hate that stuff. And even though we have, I think, the death about halfway through the film of a relatively major supporting character, I don't know if the film gets the emotional depth it's going for, I think, into the last third of the movie. So let's, let me ask you, what did you think of Malik? Did you agree with me? Or do you think he was a, a memorable villain for the franchise? Or just a memorable movie villain?
1: I agree with you. I think he was pretty much underwhelming. He did his kind of Rami Malik thing, um, kind of a weird accent, um, vaguely blank um, in his performance choices. It seems like a real shame that, looking back in hindsight, it seems like they should have had a kind of through line villain like you could have started with casino royale and kind of built up to something that could have paid off in this last film whereas i think introducing this character at a late date and he's supposed to be this kind of you know um this is the the worst of the worst or like the most biggest challenge to bond or whatever i don't know it just it just rings hollow like i don't think that they really kind of earn that um he just seems like every other bond villain that's relatively forgettable in any of the dozens of movies that are out there
0: so, I think that's again where you may have to see Spectre because they do that exact thing that mm-hmm. you're looking for in Spectre. They actually tie all the previous films together. Okay. So, you may want to check that out then. But they do a lot of kind of shuffling, you know, of the deck in this film with the killing of some characters, uh, the change into the. We'll talk about this in the spoiler section, I guess, about Spectre, what happens there as well. Fukunaga does do a lot of interesting stuff that you've never seen in a Bond film before. He's absolutely right about that. And I also, too, appreciate that I think through Craig's entire run, for the most part, women have mostly been equals to him. And this, I think, is the first one where none of them are killed, right? I mean, I appreciate that there are two of those deaths really active forward the plot, specifically with Vesper and then M, uh, but they're still at the cost of their lives. But in here, with no time to die, uh, the women, I think, are strong, equal presences to him. And they don't end up having to die, like Gemma Arterton's character in Quantum of Solace. It's it's, who is uh, Agent Fields, who, for the uninitiated, her actually first name is Strawberry. They never mention it in the film, but you can see that online. Strawberry Fields is her name. But still, Leah Sado, Lashana Lynch, who plays a double O, uh, Anna De Armoris. Am- 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 I know I'm massacring that. Anna De Armouris Armis. She plays the uh, CIA agent who assists Bond in the Cuba mission. All well done, and as I said, pretty much can stand on their own. And they're not they're not, you know, they're not victims. They're not damsels in distress, which is nice to see, especially if you watch those old older Bond films. That's basically <laughs> all they are. All right, Matt, let's see. Anything else you want to add about Bond? For me, I think, before we get into the spoiler discussion, I really, for me, this was a big success. And I think it was a great send-off for Craig. I think he did a fantastic job. His most emotional Bond yet, as I said, vulnerable. And he really just line deliveries and the different things, the stuff we did not see from him previously, you know, is a much more fleshed out character. And I think what may improve the film, really, uh, a great send off for me, and I think a great capper to Craig's career as James Bond. Yeah,
1: I think for me, as a more casual observer of the James Bond franchise, I thought it was decent. I didn't think it, it didn't blow me away. I think in some parts I was I hate to say it kind of bored um i felt like it was kind of dragging for me i I, i'm just kind of giving it the assessment based off of a my history with james bond and then just kind of like the other action franchises that are out there even something as far as mission impossible series which is kind of like a direct kind of uh mirror to this kind of series and i think the action sequences in those are a lot better i think frankly than what we've seen lately in the james bond films i don't know I thought it was competent, but I wasn't blown away by it. I still think by far the best of the Craig Bond films is, is the first with Casino Royale.
0: Fair enough. I would say for me, spiritually, this film connects the most with me for, with honor, Majesty's secret service. And I, hopefully that people get that connection. We'll talk a little bit about that in the spoiler section inspires people to kind of give that film. Another shot to that, of course, is the Lazen B movie. And I've always said that if Connery was in Honor Magic Secret Service, that would be considered the best Bond film ever made. I mean, it is that good. So you definitely should check it out if you're a Bond fan at all and you've kind of always felt like it's homework or, you know, it's the one bad one because it's, you know, it's just and B. But tell any folks, it is great. All right, Matt, what are we going to give the film as a grade? I'm going to go A minus. The only thing that it, that brings it down for me is Rami Malek's performance. And honestly, I think Hans Zimmer's score for me is, is solid. Maybe I need to listen to it a little more. But I didn't think it was really that particularly good. And at this moment, I still t- kind of really enjoyed Thomas Newman's two scores for Skyfall and uh, Spectre much more. But yeah, I don't know, what are you going to give it as a grade?
1: Yeah, so I think it's maybe one of the few times where we're kind of pretty far apart um i'm gonna give it a c plus I, I i honestly i don't know it was like i said it was it was relatively well done but it just wasn't wasn't for me
0: that that one stinks that one stinks all right let's go ahead <laughs> then and let's get into a little spoiler discussion shall we Right, Matt, so I think there are two really big things that are done in this film that we haven't seen before previously. One, I'm not sure which is a bigger deal. First off, it's revealed here that Bond is a father. Dr. Madeline Swan, Leah Siddow's character, actually has a daughter, and it's Craig's, and it's James Bond's daughter. Though granted, I think a general assumption, right, that he's probably got a couple dozen kids scattered across the globe. Sure. But this is the one that he knows about. And so let's we'll start with that one first. What did you think about that? I think that really added some emotional depth to the final big change as well and made it even more resonant for me. What did you think about the reveal that he actually has a kid?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, Bon has this reputation of being this kind of uh, irascible ladies man kind of thing that, you know, you can't chain him down. And I mean, obviously, if you think about it, he, of course, he's probably got like 85 kids running around in various countries across the world and I wasn't shocked. I mean, I felt like it was telegraphed that they were going there, you know, even though they flat out say at one point that, you know, she's not your daughter. And then she's like, oh wait, well, you know, kind of is thing at the end to kind of give you that emotional heft. I didn't, I mean, it seemed, it it seems fitting and it seems kind of, kind of go with theme of, um, you know, this, this, this guy who's a killer now has to, in his later years, and like as a last sacrifice, is a kind of, hold on to his legacy kind of thing. I liked it, but it didn't like shock me to the core or anything like that.
0: Well, no, I wouldn't expect you to be like, you know, knocked off of your chair or something by it, but I think it was a really interesting narrative touch to do so. And I think it's very clever, not clever is the right word, but I think it's very clear that she does say she's not yours. Mm -hmm. It's not that she's not your daughter. It's She's not yours, implying that she's mine and that she, she doesn't want her in that world. You know, it's not so much that, He's, she's not your kid. It's just that I want you not to have any claim over her, basically. That of course that changes as the film progresses, once we get to the big big conclusion of the film. So the whole conceit of our bad guy, Malik's character, is that if this nanobot technology that can is DNA what coded. If you get touched by anybody who has this stuff on them, it's skin-to-skin transfer. And if that version of it is DNA coded to you or anybody in your family, it'll kill you. And if it's not DNA coded, then it's fine. It's not going to bother you at all. But it can't leave, I guess, your body, right? It's always with you. So what happens is Safin, which is Malik's character, does a DNA encode of Sado and uh, her daughter, Swan and and the kid. And then he infects Bond with it. So now he can never touch them again by the end of the film. So we have that coming on. But then part of the conceit is that they're on this this former, this island in the middle of the, of the water between Japan and Russia. It was a former Cold War missile site. And they got to get the blast doors open to get the rockets or missiles to come in and blow the place up because they have so much of this tech there. And they want to stop it from getting out into the world. And the way things kind of turn out is that, a bond is infected and b he can't get out in time so he's actually killed which is the first time that's ever happened in the bond film craig's run clearly has a finite ending because for the first time in the franchise james bond does not survive his mission did that matt have any impact to you
1: uh yeah i mean it was an interesting choice i mean i think when we were kind of speculating on what the big change would be. I think neither one of us really thought it would be the fact that James Bond dies, right. And that you have this kind of finite run. Um, I mean, it brings questions as to what does that mean for the next James Bond and is it just kind of like a soft reboot kind of thing? It's, you know, instead of being earth six, one, six, we're on earth two. Now that's their version of James Bond kind of thing. So yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was a gutsy call and I, I, I think it was interesting that they were able to do that and that they were allowed to do that so i guess i give them credit for that as well
0: yeah i i think it works it hits all the emotional buttons for me uh it it was a very great i think it's a great way to end craig's run and really added some emotional depth and impact to his to the film and to his run you know this is i don't know i really think it was a really interesting decision and it was a it was a Fascinating call. And now I'm curious to see what happens next, like you said, right? My big concern since the beginning has been they're going to just make now that James Bond is a code name going forward. And if you watch Skyfall, there is a point, too, with Silva's character, played by Javier Bardem, that Silva's not his real name, that he ch- they changed his name for him. And that's what I'm wondering what's going to happen going forward. So I still don't want that. I want them to do kind of just a soft reboot. You know, keep Ray Find as M, Nomi Harris as Monty Penny, right? Ben Winshaw as Q. I think all keep all of them there and just kind of pick up like what two, three years into Bond's run, his his career. So then A, we also get a well, youngish but in his prime bond, which we didn't really get at all in Craig's run. So that would, that's my hope, that it is just, just straight James Bond. And at the end of the film, at the, at the very end, it does say you know, James Bond will return. And they did reveal that they'll be casting for Bond uh, at some point. They'll start next year. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully, we don't have these long stretches in between films that we had with Craig's run, too. So a couple other things, Matt. What did you think about the nanobots thing? Still, for me, I think it's one of the laziest conceits in cinema and fiction uh do you have any issues yeah
1: with it? it didn't really bother me any i mean you know it's it's james bond they all got kind of hand wavy electronic uh you know uh doomsday devices and stuff like that that's all kind of of du jour kind of stuff i don't think any of that stuff is really that's secondary i think really what they're trying to get at is the kind of consequences of that and the kind of dramatic stakes it brings but if it wasn't that then it could have been some CRISPR edited gene virus or whatever, and. It, wouldn't have been that different
0: fair enough what about the elimination of blofeld so blofeld is killed and specter is basically eliminated in this film mm-hmm. which for me is mm-hmm. no bueno i don't know i like the idea i like the of this super secret organization right, that's trying to topple or corrupt the world and they are basically are all wiped out in this film
1: yeah yeah i think it's kind of an interesting choice i mean it kind of leans into the fact that they may be doing a complete soft reboot starting over from from um point one because I can't believe that if you're going to use something with a history like bond that you're not going to keep his kind of his basically his biggest villain um you know that's available um and just get rid of it and just jettison it for future outings I think it'll come back and I think it'll it'll be a I almost look at this as jet I really think that this Craig Bond thing is going to be a self-contained thing mm-hmm. and you just kind of got to separate it for any future entries yeah.
0: Yeah. I look at it like maybe like the doing with the Batman, right. Where Mm -hmm. he's Batman. Who's been, he's been Batman for what, two, three years. I think at that when that film starts. So I think maybe that's what they'll do. And I hope that's what ends up happening. I mean,
1: and like Lashana Lynch, she is double Oh seven in this, you know? So like Mm -hmm. I,
0: if they stick with it, well, yeah, true.
1: Um, So yeah, I guess we'll, so we'll, we'll see. I don't know. I just feel like the way that they kind of set everything up and they kind of bridges that just kind of set in fi- on fire behind them, I, I really think that that's, they've kind of painted themselves into a corner to say, okay, like this is a self-contained story in universe and they'll, they'll get rid of it going forward. I th- I have, I'm very strongly believe that Spectre will return at some point.
0: Yeah, I think you might be right about that. And what about a spin-off film or series for Naomi for Lashana Lynch's character? Because Amazon, I believe, did buy MGM. So mm-hmm. they do have some rights to the Bond franchise now, and I think that's maybe they, what they may do is expand the James Bond universe to make it more of a franchise. Like I've right. always wanted a straightforward kind of Felix Leiter film as well, right? Mm-hmm. Now we're gonna have to cast or we guess recast that too because Jeffrey Wright's character—that's the big supporting role that's killed off in the film—is is Felix right. Leiter. And uh, but what do you think about that? Maybe they do a uh, a Nomi spinoff series for Amazon. Would you be something would you be interested in something like that? Yeah, I think there's a lot
1: of you know opportunity there. I mean, you could do you know a spinoff with uh, Nomi as and her adventures as a double O, and or you could I don't know follow um, you know, other bonds. I mean, you could make like a Kingsman thing where you do flashback to like 60s version of MI6 and it's still in that universe and you have other double O's I think that'd be you have a lot of things that you could mine there that I think would be really ripe I don't know if I would want to see movies but I I think I think like limited series on Amazon I think that'd be pretty cool
0: no yeah that would be cool I would definitely want to check that out and I gotta tell you I do not watch prime basically at all so (laughs) that may finally be something that would get me to uh check it out I think the last thing I really watched on that was the Steve McQueen Small X series. That's it. Good times. Any other spoiler discussion you want to have, Matt? Those are all the key points I wanted to hit there.
1: Yeah, I don't think so. Nothing. I think we cut, hit all the big ones. Although I guess right. if we miss anything, let yeah, you, us know. you can always let us know.
0: So a couple of references I wanted to touch on real fast. There's a lot of homages in this film. Uh, First off, you have the use of the all all the time in the world song, the Louis Armstrong version, as well as the theme from Honor Magic Secret Service, which is one of the better Bond pieces of music is included in this film. The DB5, of course, returns. For me, though, Matt, I absolutely adored the return of Timothy Dalton's Aston Martin V8 Vantage. That is the car that's being driven at the end of the film. That's the one that Sado's character drives off in with their daughter. As well. Um, there's the kind of death by car from Fear Eyes Only when they take out the uh, corrupt CIA agent. There's a similar scene, and in fact, I'm using it for the stinger of today's episode. Uh, the Poison Garden, the whole thing, that's actually lifted directly from you, the book, You Only Live twice. And then there's Bernard Lee's painting, as M uh, in the building. They go, you know, you see judy dench uh is painting right as a former m but you do see bernard lee as well which i thought was a, a nice throwback too and then one of the things too when i was looking up different easter eggs Matt, to see if i had missed anything a, a lot of weak ass articles out there like one of them was <laughs> the billy eilish's theme song they talk about if you listen really carefully Matt, you'll actually hear the bond theme for a second and this is what they're talking about we were a pair but i saw you there oh yeah real real subtle i never would have picked that out at all no, no, that, was, that is subterranean that's so subtle <laughs> thank you my BuzzFeed. so anyway if there's anything else out there too that i missed uh, obviously shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstorun.com and then Matt I'm going to wrap this up giving you a quick recap of my rewatch so Casino Royale I'm going to go B plus I think great intro for Craig it's solid and entertaining though the last like 15-20 minutes on the streets of uh, Vienna right when they're they have the big reveal about what Vesper did and then her finally her taking her own life it just seems a little tacked on and really extends the film a lot longer than it needs to be Quantum of Solace I think weakened by not having a complete script while they were filming it, but there are a lot of things I enjoy about that. It's, I think, the most brutal bond in the series. The actions, Mark Foster shoots it in a kind of experimental way, and it wasn't well received at the time, but I still enjoy it. I like the way he shoots the action in that film. It's different, and I know I complain a lot about cuts and not seeing all the action a lot in films nowadays, but... That's all that happens in this but for some reason it seems to work here. I think maybe part of it is the sound design is really well done. I ended up giving I think I would give Quantum Solves a B minus. Skyfall, I gave an A minus as well. It's simply Matt just gorgeous. It's the best-looking film in the entire series and I'm I've just put that all at the feet of Roger Deakins. The man knows how to shoot a film. It does have some lacked last act challenges again, but A minus for Skyfall. And then Talking about last act issues, uh, Spectre was much better for me on a rewatch. I would give that a B minus now. I think the sibling reveal still really upsets me, and the last twenty minutes of this are not great. But it's probably the most traditional Bond film in Craig's run, and there's a lot of it that's a lot of it to enjoy. So most of it up to that last twenty minutes, I think, is really good, except again for the fact that him and Blofeld are. <sighs> just kind of not blood related, but they grew up in the same family and how they tie that all together. It just still infuriates me when I think about it and taints my rating of it. So there you go. That's our no time to die extravaganza. Matt, you've seen them all, but Spectre, right? Do you want to toss out grades on the other films? If you could or off the top of your head real fast, not to put you on the spot.
1: Yeah. Um, I haven't seen Spectre. I would say, I guess I would give Casino Royale and skyfall a minuses i did not like quantum science at all so i'd probably give it a c minus found it very confusing and then yeah this one i gave a c plus
0: fair enough all right there you go feedback at thefirstrun.com what are your thoughts on no time to die let's keep rolling matt then and talk about what's coming up on physical media this upcoming tuesday october 19th rosemary rosemary Rosemary, are you okay? (laughs) Yeah, baby, that is a (laughs) chorus. demons released in 4k uh this upcoming tuesday i am very excited i already got my copy i didn't get a chance to watch it yet because i have been as he, s- he said re-watching all of the craig films but uh still very excited to have demons in 4k and demons 2 2 pack set matt movie i saw earlier this year too we didn't review it for the show but i said you should definitely check it out rebecca hall stars in the Nighthouse. A great little kind of not quite haunted house ghosty film. Uh, Really fun, really interesting, and pretty creepy and scary at times. I don't know if I could say it's a major disappointment, but it's just not good. Snake Eyes G.I. Joe Origins is being released. There is a steelbook you can get as well as a three film UHD bundle of all three G.I. Joe movies. I don't know why it's so hard to make a good G.I. Joe film. I don't know what the problem is. I just don't know if maybe it can be done at this point. But you get a uh, couple making-of featurettes and some deleted scenes as well. M. Night Shyamalan's latest Old is being released, and Best Buy has an exclusive steelbook. You get some deleted scenes on that one and some making-of featurettes. Martin Campbell, director of two very good James Bond films, uh, Goldeneye and Casino Royale, is putting out The Protégé. This is the Maggie Q film with Sam Jackson and Michael Keaton, the little action movie, the whole John Wicky type thing, Matt. That uh, we did not check out. Maybe we'll see it at some point. Lionsgate is releasing a Needle in a Time Stack. Really, an absolutely horrible na- name for a film featuring Leslie Odom Jr., Frida Pinto, and Orlando Bloom. A husband whose marriage is destroyed by a time traveling rival will do whatever it takes to get his wife back. Mark Wahlberg stars in Joe Bell. It's a true story of a small town working class father who embarks on a solo walk across the states to crusade against bullying after his son is tormented in high school for being gay. The funny thing for me is that I feel like Wahlberg would have been one of those bullies back in high school. If you know anything about his history, you'll know why I think that. Elijah Wood, Luke Kirby, and Robert Patrick star in No Man of God, a complicated relationship that formed between the FBI analyst Bill Hagmeyer and serial killer Ted Bundy during Bundy's final years on Death Row. Matt, you might be in line for this one. Ouija, Japan. Karen is an American housewife living in Japan who desperately wants to fit in with her Japanese community until her peer pressure forces her to play Kokuri-san, the Japanese Ouija board, with the other housewives unwittingly disrespecting a local deity who sets them up to fight against each other in a deadly battle royal. John Malkovich and Jonathan Rhys-Myers, along with Lori Petty and Julian Sands, star in The Survivalist, a year and a half after the fall of civilization due to a viral outbreak. Timely. A former FBI agent forced to protect a young woman immune to disease from a dangerous gang leader hunting her. Boy, that sounds familiar. I cannot tell you, Matt, how excited I am to uh, see that Last of Us series. I know it's not going to come out until next year, but oof, I think that's going to be a good one. Go USA is releasing Last Man Down this is a Swedish action film. A film called Summertime by uh, Carlos Lopez Estrada is being released over the course of a hot summer day in L.A. The lives of 25 young Angelinos intersect. Injustice, this is a D.C. animated film, is being released. It includes a From the D.C. Vault, Parts 2 and 1, or 1 and 2, depends on how you want to watch them. Injustice for All are included, as well as some movie flashbacks on the death and reign of Superman. And finally, Matt. For the new stuff, Superman and Lois Season 1 is being released on Blu-ray, though the entire series is currently on HBO Max. I watched, I think, the first nine or eight episodes, and it's actually pretty good. I just ran out of room in my DVR, so I hope to catch up with it. Did you watch Superman and Lois at all? I didn't, no. Well, it's pretty good. It gets to, uh, closer to Superman than I think any of Snyder stuff does, really, to who the character is. New to Blu-ray, Cartoon is releasing The Incredible Shrieking Man, the brand-new 4K restoration, as well as a new audio commentary and a couple new interviews. Cartoon is also releasing Lynne Ramsey's *Ratcatcher*, brand-new 4K restoration of that and a new interview with the director, as well as three award-winning short films of hers, Small Deaths from 95, Kill the Day from 96, and Gas Man from 97. The 1935 film Mad Love featuring Peter Lorre is being released by Warner Archive. Paramount is releasing the 1921 film featuring Rudolph Valentino, the Sheik. We're getting some VHS slipcover cover editions of Renegades. That's the Kiefer Sutherland, Lou Diamond Phillips, Jamie Kurtz film. Cole the Conqueror with uh, Kevin Sorbo. Casual Sex with Leah Thompson and Victoria Jackson. And then Splitting Airs. MVD Visual was releasing the 1987 comedy Dirty Laundry. And then some 4K releases, Matt. We talked about the limited edition set for Demons. Which of course includes an invitation a to the party. There's an, uh, a movie theater ticket and a poster. Uh, there's also a Scream 4K Steelbook coming out, as well as a, just a traditional 4K release of Scream. I think in anticipation of the new film and Maniac Cop Two and Three are getting 4K releases. Matt, your straight to DVD pick of the week. I want. I'm gonna. I'm gonna tell you the description first, and then I'll give you the title. But we'll see if you can figure out. What movie that they're riffing on with this one? A mining operation lands on a hostile planet to begin operations and finds giant worm-like beasts there. Uh, alien or creatures? No, man. Dune World. It's called Dune uh, World. okay, gotcha. What should we be streaming this week? Well, as spooky season
1: continues, I'm going to recommend that you get on HBO Max and you can run the series through all of the Nightmare on Elm Streets, the awesome 19, early 1980s original, all the way to the very questionable Jackie Earl Haley remake that has no fun in it at all. But if you're, you're of such a mind, you can watch them all back to back to back to back to back and um, experience some nice uh, 80s, early
0: 90s horror. Good times. I don't think I've ever seen all the Nightmare films all the way through. Not all of them. I think there's a few. Like, I've never seen, I don't think I've ever seen The Demon Child. No. But there's a couple. It's been a
1: while. It's been a while since I've seen a lot of those. Um, oh, and did you know that uh, I haven't seen it um, yet? I haven't watched it yet, but uh, there's a new VHS um, 1994 on Shudder.
0: Yes. I think we absolutely have to hit that up for the show. I hear it's actually, again, mixed bag, but a couple of them are very, very good. So uh, we should try and work that in at some point, I think, this month for Halloween. I'm looking forward to checking that one out. So. Good pick there. Let's go ahead and continue our body horror marathon. You like sometimes I just drop the M off your name to at. And let's talk a little bit about Cronenberg's rabbit. Oh, I thought
1: everyone was asleep. Do you mind if I get in with you? I've been lying in bed for so long. My body aches all over.
0: I'm so glad I ran into you. Uh, well, I think I better be getting out now. I'm getting all wrinkly. Oh, no, not yet.
1: You haven't even told me your name. Judy
0: Glassberg. Uh Uh-oh, that doesn't sound good. Matt Rabbit. The latest film in our body horror marathon, directed by David Cronenberg. His second film... A uh, young woman and her boyfriend, the young one played by Marilyn Chambers, uh, are in a bike accident. And he's okay. You know, some bruises, concussion, blah, blah, blah. But she's, Matt, got serious, serious problems. And they have to do immediate surgery on her at this kind of experimental skin grafting public, you know, uh, what is it? Plastic surgery um, uh, institute. And the surgery goes horribly, horribly wrong. And her character develops some type of orifice under her arm that has a protrusion that will then bite you, infect you. She sucks the blood out of you. That's how she now feeds. But then it infects you, and you basically become kind of a non-zombie zombie. And you need the taste of blood yourself to kind of keep going. But you're more mindless while she is kind of in complete right control of her faculties. Matt. What are your thoughts on Rabbit? We're both big fans of Cronenberg. I had, don't think I'd seen Rabbit previously, the second film. So he's still kind of just still starting out. What are your thoughts? I really didn't know what to expect
1: going into this. I have some issues with it. I think it's very effective in some parts. I think um, it's got some things that have maybe been riffed on, um, you know, later on in other horror films. But I think. Overall, for me, this was a very much a an early effort by a filmmaker who has a lot more better a lot better stuff to come.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. But you can definitely see things kind of coming together. So I have Shivers as well, which I do enjoy. But much like Shivers, there's still an indie kind of amateurish feel to some of the stuff. Some of the performances in this aren't terribly great. Though I will say, Marilyn Chambers I think is fine in this, and she had come off the adult film Behind the Green Door. And I guess they had signed her because they thought that it may help with the, uh, it may help appeal to the European markets to have her in the lead role, those filthy Europeans in their sexual anarchy. But either way, I think there is a lot here to enjoy. But there is some stuff too, Matt, where you can definitely see they're doing stuff on the cheap. For me, one of the big scenes, right, is when two of the characters are being held up by some, dump trucks and other government sanitation vehicles that they're clearly just circling the block. Right. Cause they come by again as the scene ends, that's all right. the same people with the same trucks and stuff. <laughs> right. And I know that Cronenberg shot, you reused extras by shooting them at the same time, but at different angles. So we could reuse the clips or have them kind of rewalk in different styles or something like, you know, just to maximize your dollar here. And I guess, after Shivers, a lot of the films in Canada, at least back then, I don't know now, but are funded by the government, just kind of like in the UK. And after Shivers came out, there was kind of a bit of an uproar that something that government funds went to something so vile and ugly and gross. And so they had a hard time raising money for Rabbit. And they tried to do some kind of sneaky accounting things where you'd say, oh, yeah, if you fund, we'll fund movies one, two, and three. And then some of that money would go to movie four, which was rabid, but they wouldn't promote that one as much as the other films that they were looking to get money for, right? That kind of a thing. Yeah, but eventually the film did get made. And I think it's pretty pretty successful. I think it's fun. It's a little schlocky. Um, it has some Romero-esque social commentary that I think is subtle but impactful. I think one of the crazy things, Matt, for me is how relevant it is today watching this thing. you know, Because basically it's like a virus spreading through Montreal. And they're having to declare martial law and that you need to have your vaccine card if you want to go anywhere, right? All this stuff. And it's just, it kills me watching this stuff. It's like, man, all this stuff just eventually does kind of come true. I don't know. What'd you think about any of that? Did you uh, have any, would you were able to appreciate any of the uh, modern day equivalents that we see today in society with a rabbit yeah, in was, film that is almost as old as I am?
1: Yeah, it was, uh, it was certainly um creepy to sit there and watch about their talk about vaccine cards and like how you have to be you know you they can demand to see it at any given time and you're obligated to show it to any kind of government person who requests it um you know even just other stuff like you know the cop who has a world war ii Tommy gun, for some reason, you know, shoots a zombie <laughs> and ends up yeah. like, ends up killing, you know, uh, uh, some bystanders. I won't spoil what bystander that is, you know, so I thought that was, you know, all of that kind of stuff, but it's also very Canadian in its sensibilities too. He's like, oh, shocks when he does it. So I thought it was pretty funny. I also just want to say, I also really appreciate that corner mate Berg makes absolutely no effort to explain why she is afflicted the way she's afflicted. Like, yeah. yeah, I don't know what it has to do with a, a a you know motorcycle accident at all, but you know, there it is.
0: Yeah, weird. It's it's this skin grafting or plastic surgery part of it. There's never any explanation as to why this happens. And, all right, that's fine. What do you think of Marilyn Chambers here?
1: Yeah, I didn't realize that she was had done um, pornography, as it were. So yeah, I thought she was fine. I just thought she was kind of like a. You know, a struggling up-and-coming actress who took a role in a kind of, uh, uh, you know, cheap horror film that didn't mind showing her, her boobs
0: a lot. You know, as <laughs> as
1: one may do in the late 70s, early 80s.
0: Fair, fair. Another thing, too, outside of the uh, sad relevance of today, but seeing stuff like people smoking in the movie theaters and smoking mm-hmm. in the mall. You know, it's <laughs> just kind of anachronistic things that you just are startling to you given the world that we live in today are always kind of fun to see i also felt like this would be a great mystery science theater entry i was a mm-hmm. few times doing my own personal riffs while watching this thing you know it was just kind of that <laughs> fun kind of schlocky thing to it that i just i don't know, it's fun I, I i rather enjoyed it man i ended up giving rabbit a b minus
1: uh i'm right there with you i gave it a b minus as well i thought it was pretty entertaining in a kind of uh cheesy cheap kind of way
0: that's good. So uh, balance has been restored. Yes. In the first run universe. All right then. Let's go ahead. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Rabbit? Shoot us an email uh at uh where are we? Feedback at the first run.com. Matt, is this playing anywhere? Because I have it on Blu-ray, so I watched it. Did you stream it? Is that on like Shutter? Shutter yeah, it's yet? on uh it's on HBO Max. There you go. I think I'd got the uh Blu-ray because it was like twelve bucks. I just like weird Cronenberg stuff. So good times. All right. Let's wrap things up, Matt, and let's share our five favorite Bond gadgets. Here's a fun one that's a little troublesome. Yula Yakov, confirmed kills three, probable kills two. Assassination methods, strangulation with hands or thighs. Well, James, she's just your type. Wrong again, money You Natasha are.
1: Zark. I'll file that with the other probable secret kills information kills around you. here. Specialist child
0: impersonations.
1: Assassination method. Explosive teddy bears. Well, that's all the KGB female assassins. You know, we could try freelancers stationed outside the Soviet block. It'll have to wait. M wants you out at the Bladen safe house. Right. Looks like it's a dead end here anyway. Ah, good.
0: something we're making for the americans it's called a ghetto blaster ah uh, good times of course that is from timothy dalton's first film the living daylights matt that was the first bond film i ever saw in the theaters so it was very impactful for me it was 1987 I was a, a wee lad and dalton was my first bond and i always have a soft spot for him and i think his films are actually both of them are very very good particularly The Living Daylights. And uh, prior to Craig, I'd always felt that he was the one that played the straightest to Fleming's novels, Uh, the most kind of intense Bond, unlike Moore, you know, who was kind of just having fun and on the joke and giving you a little wink half the time. So uh, I'm a big fan of The Living Daylights. I'm with you. I think those were one of the first exposures to James
1: Bond that I ever had.
0: Good times. All right, Matt, start us off. What's your fifth favorite Bond gadget?
1: All right, so my number five, and what's interesting is I was kind of going through Bond gadgets, how a lot of this stuff came to be, and, like, it doesn't seem that that exciting anymore. Um, but uh, I guess my number five, then, is going to be the remote control BMW from Goldeneye, um, mm-hmm. where Pierce Brosnan is sitting in the back um, driving the thing with his cell phone, um, which, honestly, is probably 10 years off at this point.
0: Yeah, no, it's, yeah. That's true. And we are probably somehow some horrible accident in the tunnel and we'll all die. But yes, <laughs> I think that that is a good one. Honorable mention for me. A lot of great stuff, actually, in uh, Tomorrow Never Dies when it comes to Bond gadgets. It's really a cornucopia of Bond gadgets, that one. My number five is, for me, a gag. It's one of the funnier things out of Skyfall, and it's the radio. So <laughs> there's a scene in Skyfall when... Bond meets Q for the first time and he's given him his Walther and also the little, little transistor radio so they can track him down and find out where he is. And it has a nice little scene when they capture Silva and it talks about the latest technology from, from the Q branch. It's called the radio. And then all of a sudden that's when all the copters and the, you know, the military shows up to, to bring him in. I just, it's a great little scene in the film and it's such a small, simple thing as a subtle nod to all the gadgets of the past and how sometimes you don't really need to have an exploding pen. So anyway, I just thought for number my five, I'd give it to the uh, radio from Scott. Very good. All right.
1: So my number four then is I'm sticking on the car theme here for a while. Um, it's the Invisible Car from The World Is Not Enough. Again, another Pierce Brosnan entry. Uh, impossibility, I suppose, <laughs> in their gadgets. But it seems like it's one of the few things that actually seems – a stuff of science fiction that seems completely unattainable for a long, long time.
0: I've always hated that thing. The World is Not Enough is really the beginning of the end for me in the Bond Pierce run. I and mean, with Tomorrow Never Die is just being ridiculous. But the Invisible Car is a bit much for me. But not, that's not too much for me, Matt, is Wet Nelly, which is the Lotus Esprit car from The Spy Who Loved Me that turns into a submarine when they... <laughs> jump off into the water and then the wheels close up, the little periscope shoots up, and it now becomes a submarine. So uh yeah, the uh Lotus Esprit little wet nelly is my four.
1: Yeah, it was my number three. Yeah, I thought that was really cool when I was a kid. Um I thought that was absolutely fantastic watching that uh,
0: Lotus turn into a submarine. Completely impractical, completely stupid, but I loved it. <laughs> exactly. So then I will say my number three would be Little Nelly, which is from You Only Live Twice, which is the little tiny helicopter that gets assembled. Q brings it over to Japan, and they have this big scene, you know, where they put it all together, and then they have the 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 was it the bird dog scene where he's got to maneuver and get away from everybody, flying this little little mini helicopter because he's going to take photos of the uh, fake volcano layer of Blofeld. But it's it's such a big deal and such a big reveal to then just be this kind of little mini helicopter that's just adorable. And it's just a lot of fun. So that's my number three is Little Nelly. All right. My number
1: two then, not even a James Bond gadget. Hmm. It is a bad guy gadget um, wielded by um, Francisco Scaramanga, and that is the golden gun where he assembles his assassin equipment out of a bunch of innocuous items, I think like a pen and a lighter, and he suddenly puts it together and suddenly, um, you know, as one shot, another victim goes their glittering doom as whatever the hyperbole in the song is. Um, but the golden gun I thought was pretty cool, so I'd throw it in there, even though it's not a Bond gadget.
0: Yeah, I have real disdain for the Man with the Golden Gun, which is a, too bad because I love Christopher Lee. The theme song is probably the worst theme song out of any of them, and the Man with the Golden Gun has the slide whistle car gag that makes me cringe every time it happens. I get like physically nauseous. It's so bad, so I almost can never give the Man with the Golden Gun like any props, unfortunately, because it's just. So upsetting. So my number two then, Matt, I'm going to go, I don't know, probably the biggest layup for me. It's the DB5. It's the tricked out DB5. It is so cool with the machine gun headlights, the oil slick in the back, the smoke, right? The ejector seat. It's when you think about James Bond, basically you think about that tricked out silver DB5 and it had to be on my list. So it's my number two.
1: Yeah, it is pretty iconic. Um, yeah, I guess I didn't really think of it as just like the car in and of itself because it just seems so a part of the of the franchise. But I guess overall, it is. But my number one is uh, the thing that immediately comes to mind when I think of Bond gadgets. Again, not a Bond uh, gadget. It's actually a bad guy's bad gadget. I'm talking about Oddjob's bowler hat that he mm-hmm. uses to decapitate a man- mannequin in his a deadly weapon in his hands, which is just is so ridiculous and I love it.
0: Yeah, I always thought it was really funny too that it takes off like a stone marble statue's head, but it hits somebody else's head and it just knocks him out. And that's right. all. <laughs> it doesn't do any damage, permanent damage to him. <laughs> I guess it's maybe it's the angle and the force that he throws it with. Who knows? That's true. I did limit myself just to good guy stuff. So I wonder if I should have considered some of the villain stuff because that would have been fun. Because yeah, job's hat probably would have been pretty high on my list. So I'm going to close things out with the From Russia With Love briefcase. So this thing is fully loaded, Matt, for all your travel destination assassination needs. First, it's got a rifle in it. You can just assemble from the case. It's got 20 rounds of ammunition. It's got two spring-loaded knives. It's got 50 gold sovereigns and a tear gas cartridge that if you put in a certain way with the catches, when it opens up, it'll blow up in people's face. Really, all you need for the discerning traveling gentleman. So, it's one of my favorite moments in From Russia With Love when they go through the case. And then later on, the case comes into use with the big fight with uh, Red Grant on the train. Really great stuff. So, that ended up being my number one. Do you have any honorable mentions?
1: Yeah, I had the leg cast uh, missile um, Mm. from Q sitting uh, from Goldeneye, which is ridiculous. Um, The Polaroid camera that shoots a laser um, from License to Kill. And I guess a throwaway was kind of in the background, a hookah that shoots bullets. <laughs> That's a good one too.
0: No, I'm going to go with, I said, the laser watch and the exploding pen from Goldeneye. Uh, the EMP watch from No Time to Die, which I thought was pretty cool. The only thing I don't understand is, wouldn't couldn't an EMP kill nanobots if it wipes out anything with a circuit? Why wouldn't that yeah, work? You would think so. Yeah, you, I think it would. Weird. All right. There's the Palm Print Walther PPK, which I appreciated. I think that was, was that Skyfall or from uh, Quantum? I can't remember now. And then, as you said, the Tomorrow Never Dies a remote car phone, which not only Matt controlled the car, but it was a stun gun, a fingerprint scanner, a lock pick. I mean, it did everything. And then finally, Timothy Dalton's Aston Martin, the V8 Vantage, which had spikes that come out of the tires, little wing things to help so he could ski, little rockets, Boost in the back. Lots of good stuff. A targeting system that appeared on the windshield. Lots of great stuff from 1987 there. Those are my honorable mentions. What are your favorite James Bond gadgets? Shoot us an email at feedback at run.com. We would absolutely love to see what you would have liked. Matt, coming up next week on The Big Show. So... I'm still going to try and pull this off. I'm not sure where you are, but um, Halloween Kills is out. Also, The Last Duel. So I may try and see both. I'm not sure if I'll pull it off. I think if we can only do one, I say we do Halloween Kills. Uh, And then we're going to continue our Body hair Marathon with Tetsuo the Iron Man. And then the final segment will be our five favorite Michael Myers kills. So from what I understand, Matt, this Halloween kills has a lot and a lot of carnage in this one. So we'll have to see how that turns out. In the meantime, you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Do a search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually, we'll find us. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. uh, Give us a review. We'll read it on the air and help other people find the show. Uh, screen run the little side project here is live the first episode of alien is out now and coming up in a couple weeks is aliens plural with our lovely co-host here matt he joins the lady one and i to discuss the seminal aliens and that's going to be it matt this week so why don't we go ahead and take an extended break everybody take care of themselves get vaccinated we'll see you soon we love you
1: Left this with Ferrara, I believe.